Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. It's a really good thing you're here. So listen up, wake up, be ready to hear what God's got to say. We're talking about magic words, five life-changing words from the book of Romans. And before I really jump into that, I want to tell you a little bit of a a story. Um, When I was in second grade... I was, uh, you know, I was a good kid. I was, you know, fairly quiet. Um, I, you know, I had a lot of friends. So I was, I went to a really, really small public school in in Pinetown, North Carolina. Most people have never heard of where that is, but it was a really, really good school. And uh, this new kid comes in middle way through the year of second grade, and I, you know, I'm trying to befriend him, right? I'm trying to be nice to him. We go out to recess on the playground, and he decides he's going to start, you know, running his mouth at me. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what happened, I don't know why he chose me, I don't know if he did it to other people, but he starts saying these things about me. And I'm just sort of laughing it off, I'm, you know, no big deal, I got friends, I, you know, I'm fairly confident in myself, you know, but I, all of a sudden, he says the magic words, not the good magic words, but the magic words that re- let me know it was time to throw down, Okay. He said, now some of y'all might know where I'm heading with this, second grade, especially, I don't know how it is now, but back then, the worst thing you could do if you wanted to get into a scrap was say, yo mama. He said, yo mama. And I don't remember what he said about my mama, but I knew that it was on then. And so I went on him, like a chupacabra. I jumped on him. I mean, I, went, I came flying through the air, jumped on him. I was more of a lover, not a fighter, but he said, yo mama, and it was on, like Donkey Kong. See, I'm going back to second grade lingo. And so I jumped on him, and I just remember, I had this, you know how sometimes your memories are like movies in your brain? This is one that burned into my brain. I ended up, you know, straddling this guy. He's on the ground, and I just remember just like, boom, 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 just raining down blows on this guy. And that's, that's how it played in my mind. You know, in my mind, I was Rocky Balboa going against Ivan Drago, you know, putting him on the ropes, just wearing him out. I must break you. And, you know, I'm just going on. But in it, really what it looked like probably was like a Care Bear going, <laughs> you know. See, I'm going, I'm sticking with the theme here. I'm going second grade, you know, from my second grade, Care Bear, Rocky, all that kind of stuff. But, I, you know, so I am just like wearing him out. And I remember, this is not important, but it's just one of the funniest things to me. I was a good kid, right? Good in school, never got in trouble. I remember in the midst of it, looking up, and the teacher's out here on the playground at recess. She looks over, she sees it, she turns her head. (laughs) I was like, oh, yeah. So anyway, I don't remember how it ended up. I got off of him. I'm sure he was badly injured. Yeah. He's probably like, I think I got a mosquito bite. But... We ended up, you know, we were friends later, you know, we became friends. I, I actually saw him a few years ago, and, you know, I mean, you know, it was, it was no big thing. It was just one of those kid things. I'm sure he was not hurt. But he never said, yo, mama, to me again, I'll tell you that. But I, I, don't, I don't try to glorify my, my past as a brawler. You know, I, you know, I don't try to glorify that. I thought y'all would laugh at that. But anyway, but it reminds me of this idea that I remember being told as a kid, and I don't know if it's really as big of a statement as people used to say as it is, you know, I don't know if it is now like people used to say, but there's a phrase that you could probably finish for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but 
Words will never hurt me. Um, I remember being told that a lot, and I don't know if people talk about that now, because now people really think that words will hurt you for sure. But the truth is, whether we believe that they did or not back then, there are words said by certain people at the right time in the right way that can absolutely what? Hurt you. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Words have incredible power. Words have incredible power to tear down or build up. And unfortunately, a lot of times those words really do a lot more tearing down than they do building up. Am I right? You know, as we sit here, I guarantee you that many of you are sitting here being owned and defined by words that were spoken about you, over you, around you, towards you, maybe years and years and years ago. And some of you don't even realize it. Some of you developed a whole personality character trait because of something that was said that you don't really truly remember, but it's buried down in your subconscious. You might have become a tough guy or a tough girl, gal, whatever you're supposed to say. That's really not 2023 language, I guess. But a tough woman. You know, you became this tough person with this tough exterior because of something that was said about you when you were a little kid. Or you became really quiet and submissive because of something that was said. And many of us are sitting here being owned and defined by words like fat and skinny and dumb and lazy, incompetent, worthless, useless, freak, disappointing, let down, failure. I mean, and the list could go on and on and on and on. And I'm not so naive to sit here and say that some of you aren't adding some words to your list. Those words can really sting, can't they? Especially when they're said by somebody who's supposed to be protecting you. Somebody who's supposed to be loving you and caring for you. Somebody who's supposed to have your back. Somebody who's supposed to be building you up rather than tearing you down. And those words can sting and they can dig down deep. And they can hold power over us to our very, very core. But words can heal too, can't they? And that's why we're talking about this. Words can heal. The right words spoken at the right time by the right person in the right way can be life-giving and life-changing. And if you don't realize that, I hope and pray that you get that in your brain starting today. That you get this idea that there are words out there that can really, truly change your life. And we're going to talk about just five of them that are going to come from the book of Romans chapter 8. And it's ideas that come from the book of Romans chapter 8. We're going to talk about a different word each week. But I want to give you one good example. If you need just one example that the right word spoken by the right person at the right time can really have a positive impact, I want to draw your mind really quick to a guy by the name of Nick Vujicic. You may have seen him. He's gone viral many times on YouTube and social media. Um, He is a guy who was born with no arms and no legs. Many times you'll see him in a button-down shirt and, and black khaki pants that are rolled up to fit his body. And he'll be on a stage and he, he talks and he, he moves all around the stage, but he has no arms and no legs. And because of someone speaking the right words to him at the right time, and nobody ever would have thought that it was the right person. Because it wasn't somebody who was 
overly invested in his life. At least he didn't know it. He was at school one day and he was struggling because he felt like he was useless and worthless and broken and a freak and all these different things. He felt like he was worth nothing and that maybe, just maybe, there was going to be no good to come from his life. Why was he even born? And the school janitor saw him in the hallway one day and said, you're special. And you can do anything that you decide you want to do. And he's a best-selling author now. He is a social media icon. He's a motivational speaker. He travels the world helping people see that no matter what they think is wrong with them, there's so much right. And so a school janitor who didn't know him all that well spoke life into him. And so I hope and I pray that God will use me today and over these next few weeks to speak life into you and over you, not to just empower you, but to empower you to go out and speak life into and over other people. And so we're going to look at these five magic words that can change your life based on Romans chapter 8. You know, if you felt trapped or confined, or powerless to make a change, this message is for you. I don't know if that fits you. If you've ever felt pigeonholed or stuck or like you just can't get it right when it comes to living this Christian life, this message is for you. If you feel like everybody else just keeps moving forward and you're just sort of trapped, this message is for you. But before we focus on this word for today, I want us to lay a little groundwork. The Apostle Paul, who's the one who wrote the, the book of Romans, the, the letter to the church at Rome, he had our feelings of frustration. He could understand. You know, a lot of times if you don't know a lot about the Bible and you haven't really dug down deep in maybe some of the history of it or, or read through all the different parts of the Bible, you might think, well, Paul, he's like this high and lofty guy who had it all together, never struggled, never had any issues. <clears throat> That's false. He had one of the most difficult lives that anybody has ever had. And the crazy thing is that before he became a Christian, his life was by many accounts and by many standards really, really great. But when he decided he was going to follow Jesus, he gave up all of that, all of that, all of his standing, all of his rank, all of his acclaim, all of everything that he built up to give himself a good name and put, lift himself up. He threw all of that away and spent the rest of his life being poured out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if anybody can understand what it feels like to feel trapped and to feel like they are stuck, I believe that Paul can understand that frustration. And so chapter 7, we're going to back up and get a little bit of background here. Chapter 7 of the book of Romans, I'm telling you, if you're new to the faith, if you're new to reading the Bible, I wouldn't start with chapter 7. It's a little confusing. I went to Bible college, was trained by all these Bible scholars. I can do a little bit of Greek word study. And I'm telling you, sometimes I read chapter 7, I'm like, huh? I just don't have a clue. You know what I mean? It's just it, it, a lot of repetition, a lot of going back and forth. And, and, but I want to give you this overview. And it comes from the last part of chapter 7 in verse 21, beginning there. It says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. We can relate to that, can't we? I want to do good, but evil is right there with me. For my inner being, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. I think most of us, most of us, most of the time could really say, that's, that's, that's me. That's me that Paul's talking about. Most of the time, I want to do what's right. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, and lie and tell you that I'm always wanting to do what's right. Am I the only one? Y'all just ain't brave, huh? I mean, there are times that I want to do wrong. I'm not just talking about my past life, you know. Like I've said many times before, I was not born a preacher. I didn't come out in a suit and tie. You know, y'all be shocked if I had a suit and tie today. But I didn't come out, you know, from my mother's womb in a suit and tie. I was not born a preacher, and I lived a long time far away from God. But I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about now. There are times that I want to do wrong. Because it lets a burden off of me, or it gets me out of trouble, or whatever my mind conceives and lies to myself about, I fall into those traps. But most of us, most of the time, want to do what is right. We want to do things God's way, but circumstances and scenarios and troubles and worries and cares come and we often give in. Maybe what you're hoping for is just not happening fast enough, so you need to cut some corners. Maybe the pain in your life is just too much, and you've got to find something to dull the pain. It never does dull it, though, does it? Just dulls it for a few moments. Maybe you say, my spouse just doesn't get me. He doesn't pay attention to me like he used to, or she doesn't even think I exist sometimes. And if I tell the truth, maybe I could lose everything. So I've got to lie. And if I don't do this, will anybody ever love me or want me? You know, I would love to stand up here and tell you that those aren't real feelings that a lot of us have. And we get caught up in sin because of those things. We want to do what's right, but life can be difficult. And so we get caught up and we tra get trapped and we get falling into sin. We fall into temptation. And there are so many reasons why we give in to temptation. And sometimes, as I said earlier, we just chase headlong after sin. We're not, we're not tripped up. We're not caught off by God, off surprise. Man, I can't talk. We're not caught by surprise. We're not caught off guard. We chase after it. Sometimes we do that. But we can all relate to Paul's next words all too well. Look at verse 24. What a wretched man or woman I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And I, I'm telling you, if, if you've been around church for a while, you probably know. You, you could do the spoiler alert and you could tell everybody what's coming next. But how many times, I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to answer this in your mind. How many times have you said that about yourself? I am such a wretched, messed up person. Who in the world could save me? You might know about this Jesus guy, but how often have you been the one who says, I know what Jesus is about. I know who he is. I know what he promised. I know everything he says, but I don't know that it's true for me because I am such a wretched person. These words were not put, in, put on parchment by a guy who just told a little white lie every now and then. These words were not put on parchment by someone 
who just struggled a little bit. These words were put on parchment by a man who stood there giving his assent and agreement to a preacher of a gospel being stoned to death. And these words were put on parchment on a scroll by a man who went around arresting women and men who followed Jesus Christ. That was their only crime. Dragging them out of their homes and probably cheering as some of them went on to their death. That's the man who put these words on paper so he can understand how you feel when you say, I am such a wretched, horrible, despicable person. Who in the world can save me? Have you ever found yourself crying out to God about how despicable you are? Have you ever been wondering if there's any hope for you? You know, you're not alone. Paul wrestled with this guilt. He wrestled with that guilt of the lives he destroyed and cut short. And I can stand up here and tell you with all confidence that I have cried out many times before about how wretched and despicable a person I am. But the good news is this, guys. Paul's story did not stop at the road to Damascus. My story did not stop way back in my past. And your story does not stop where it is now. It does not stop. It does not stop. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. Look at verse 25 with me. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, my flesh, a slave to the law of sin. He says the good news is, is that Jesus can save all of us. It doesn't matter what your past is like. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter how many times you've screwed up and royally destroyed your life and the life of other people around you. There is hope in Jesus. Now look at verse 8, uh, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 1. This is where it gets really, really good. All right, wake up if you need to, all right? Therefore, there is now no, everybody say no. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That is our word, free or freed or freedom. That is our word. That is boom. I mean, that is like do the happy dance, do the cabbage patch since I'm going back to second grade. That is celebrate, celebrate, celebrate. Because you and I, if you are in Christ, have been freed. Jesus, there is no condemnation. I thought y'all would be a lot more excited about that. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. There's no condemnation. All right, stop. Some of you right now, some of you right now are saying, yeah, but. Yeah, but, yeah, that's true for some of these people in here because they're the people who got it all together. But I'm stuck. I'm so wretched. I'm so wicked. You know, the Bible's got all these little footnotes. I guarantee one of those little footnotes is about me. Does not apply to Bobby. Does not apply to fill in your name. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell forever. You can have freedom 
in Christ no condemnation because he is stronger than any sin you could ever commit. You need to know that. You need to own that. You need to wrap your mind around that. And you need to do the happy dance. You know, whatever it is. Hopefully it's not that. (laughs) But Paul's past doesn't matter. My past doesn't matter. Your past doesn't matter. All of your failings don't matter when Jesus is on the scene. The law of the Spirit is more powerful than the law of sin and death. We are free, free from the power, free from the power of sin and death, free from guilt, free from shame, free from lies, free from the words that have destroyed us and owned us and kept us in prison. We can be free. But there's a qualifier in there. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, I knew, I knew it, I knew it. The qualifier is there, and we got to understand it. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, say no, for those who are in Christ Jesus. All right, I want you to, y'all do real well on the one word, no. Can we all say three words together, in Christ Jesus? Ready? One, two, three. In Christ Jesus. Yes! I mean, y'all got it. Y'all nailed it. In Christ Jesus is the qualifier. In Christ Jesus is where all freedom is found. In Christ, freedom. Outside of Christ, slavery to sin and death. Inside Christ, freedom. Outside of Christ, slavery to sin and death. In Christ, freedom. The qualifier is in Jesus, in Christ. Not near him, not around him, not close to him. In him. I read the, the passage a lot of times from Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus talked about the narrow road and that few will find the narrow road that leads to life and the broad road that leads to destruction that many will enter through it. And he goes on to say that not all who call me Lord, Lord, not all those who get near me, not all those who get around me, not all those that get close to me will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, but only those who do the will of my Father, only those who get in Christ will receive that benefit. But the good news is, hey, y'all stick with me. Y'all footnote people, y'all asterisk people. In Christ, there is no condemnation. There is freedom in Christ, and we need to do what we can. Look at verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Man, I love that. What the law was powerless to do, God did did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but live according to the spirit that's why getting close to Jesus doesn't count because the the requirement to be able to spend eternity with God forever is keeping the law and there's one little qualifier we got to put on that to keep the law what you might got to guess completely perfectly holy whatever you want to say you have to keep the old testament law perfectly never sinning once perfection was necessary so that's why being close to jesus being around jesus being near jesus is not enough it means you got to be in jesus jesus came to live like us and live his life like us, and pay the price that the law demanded. 
See, when Adam and Eve sinned, he had to get them away from the tree of life so they could not live forever because they took the, tr- the fruit of the tree of knowledge and they understood evil. And once you really get a taste of evil, unfortunately, we kind of like it a lot. And so he said, you can't be with me forever. But he didn't just leave them outside the garden. He didn't leave the rest of us outside the garden forevermore. He sent Jesus to live like us and then die on our behalf. And I love what it said. He paid the price But the righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled not necessarily in Jesus, but in who does it say? In us. Those who are in Christ, we get the benefits. Jesus paid the price and we get the rewards. Isn't that good news? I don't know if y'all know, but Jesus is alive, (laughs) y'all. This ain't Jesus' funeral. I know we're celebrating the crucifixion this coming Friday, but... It's good news. He's alive. There is hope in Jesus. He paid the price and we get the rewards. We get the freedom in Christ that we don't deserve, but we get it freely from him. But there's that qualifier again that Paul put there in that passage, that section of the chapter. He said, those that live according to the spirit, not the flesh, are the ones that are free. So when you live according to the Spirit of God, that is who gets to be free. So it's in Christ according to the Spirit. But why? You know, you might be saying, why? Why is it so difficult? Why? Why does it matter how we live and if we're in Christ? Verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh. That's, when, that's, when you see that word flesh, sometimes depending on the translation you read, it might say sinful nature, especially if you read the NIV, the um, New International Version, you know, different ones like that. But the word flesh is the Greek word sarx. And I don't get into a lot of Greek, but this is important. That word flesh is sarx. And it literally just means everything that is about you that's here on this earth, the, the physical, even to down to the mental part of the, the part that really struggles with sin, you know, the things that help you fall into temptation. He said very clearly right there, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. So if you're living in that mindset, and I think we all understand that, right? If you're living in that mindset, you just want more of it. Because, okay, let's use for example, you know, if if you're just going around and, and you're living this party life, you know, for those of you that have been there, done that, or maybe you're in it right now, you know that for a while, as we said earlier, it makes you feel better, right? But then really quickly you get alone and you get painful and that pain just comes back and it's magnified, right? It's magnified and it's, it, it's exploded and it's doubled and it's tripled. And so then you got to go and you got to party harder because you got to numb that pain for just a little bit longer. And it's just a vicious cycle and it gets harder and it gets worse. And so we have that desire when we're living by the flesh. But those... Verse 5, halfway through. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is what? Death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Look at verse 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. There, those who are in the realm of the flesh, listen to this, y'all. Cannot please God. Cannot please God. So there has to be a trade. There has to be a trade. You have to trade the old life for the new life. 
we have to trade life for life. If we want the life of Jesus, if we want to be able to live in the Spirit, and we want to be in Christ, and we want to be free, to experience this freedom, we have to trade our old life for this new life in Jesus. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie, and I'm not, not really recommending it, but the movie Man on Fire with Denzel Washington where he goes and he's a bodyguard for this girl who's kidnapped and at the very end of the movie he goes about I mean before this he's just wrecking shop on these people that have taken it it's a whole twisted thing but at the very end he goes and he trades his life for the life of that little girl and that part no matter what you think about that movie is such a powerful picture of the gospel because when I'm watching that movie, I've invested all my emotion and energy into this, and I could see myself going around trying to get a little girl back into safety. And man, I'm like, yeah, here he is. He's about to get her back. He's about to get her back. And then you see him trade his life for hers, and you're like, no! That's not right. That's not the way the movie's supposed to end. And I bet, I bet that helps us understand how the believers felt at the foot of the cross that day on a Friday 2,000 years ago when Jesus held out his arms and said it is finished they shouted I'm sure with all of their hearts and all of their minds and all of their souls and all of their strength no this is not the way that it's supposed to end we don't understand but now on this side of the cross we know that that death was temporary and there had to be life for life so when we come to Jesus we have to trade our life to take on that life that he got through the cross and then through the empty tomb and so we have to trade it you cannot I cannot keep my old life on and take on the life of Jesus unless you die to your old life Jesus's death does nothing for you you hear that unless we die to our old life the old self Jesus's life does nothing for you because it doesn't matter about getting close it doesn't matter about getting around it doesn't about it matter about getting near it matters about getting in Jesus Unless you die to your old life, Jesus' life, death does nothing for you. Because the mind governed by the flesh is death. And that the mind that is governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It cannot please God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You've got to trade life for life. If you keep your old life, you are hostile to God. When I was keeping my old life, I was hostile to God. You cannot please God. Those are strong words, but those are straight from the Bible. We cannot please God. So the big glaring question, if we want to be free, is this. How do we make sure we are in Christ, and how do we die to ourselves? The interesting thing is that both of those questions are answered in the same way at the same time. In Romans chapter 6, just a couple of chapters before Romans chapter 8, it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Death. 
We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is getting them to understand there were people who were trying to get them to just go and sin so that grace would abound. You know, it's like, if God's going to give grace, let's earn that grace. Let's make it useful and let's sin, 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 sin. He said, no, that's a crazy idea because when you were baptized into Christ, you what? Died to your old self. You were joined with Jesus' death at baptism by faith. You were raised to a new life. We died spiritually at our baptism in the mind of God. As you're lowered in that water with your faith in Jesus, that He's the only way, the only truth, the only life, God looks at you and sees, yep, there goes Bobby. He's gone. And then, boom, here comes my son. That's all I see when I look at him after he's raised up. And that is new life. Look at verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, he says, if we've done that, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you're buried and you're raised up. And that means that one day when the full resurrection happens spiritually, you're resurrected right there. But when the resurrection of the flesh, the sarks, when all that is changed, then you get to be a part of that one too. We'll be united with him in a resurrection like his. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to a little something. We want the body of sin to be brought to just a little something. We need it on the shelf so we can go back and get it when we need it. Now, that's not what it says, is it? The body of sin brought to what? Nothing. But what is my mindset and my heart a lot of times like? I want the body of sin to be brought back to almost nothing so I can go find it when I need it. And I go and I dig it back up a lot. Are you that way too? But it said that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Verse, end of verse 6. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set Free, there's our word, free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, that's the the beautiful thing here is that, you know, this paints such a powerful, clear understanding of what baptism is in the mind of God. And a lot of people like to argue about baptism. And they say, well, yeah, but it means this and this. And it's like, you got to show me in Scripture where baptism means that. I'm going to take God's word for it. I don't know about y'all. I'm going to take God's word for it. And what it means to God is what it's going to mean to me. I'm going to listen to what God says. I want to be on God's terms. I want to trust him. I want to take his word for it, not somebody else's, not even just mine. I want to take God's word for it, and I want to be free. And if God considers me dead to my sin because spiritually I died and he raised me up to a new life, then guess what, buddy? I better consider myself dead to it. Now, the only thing is, you died spiritually, right? I will tell you this, you might have claims for a lawsuit if you literally died at your baptism. But you wouldn't be here to contest that, so it's kind of a past point. But if you died physically at baptism, that's the best place to go. I mean, I guess, just like, you're like, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
hey, Jesus, what are you doing here? <laughs> you come to my baptism? You know, and you just wake up in the arms of Jesus. I know, I'm silly. I'm sorry. I had to break the tension because y'all just act like y'all are on the edge. But here is what we've got to understand. You don't die physically at baptism. And so every day walking around, you still see all this stuff. And you know this mindset, this flesh that wants to get back in that old life of sin and have a little something of sin, not completely nothing. And we want to go back into it. And we just forget that we died. But God said, you're what? Dead to sin. So you and I need to be dead to sin. And so we need to continually crucify that until one day soon when Jesus comes back and changes all this too. And we get to be a part of the physical resurrection, not just the spiritual resurrection that's already taken place. You die to sin and you're raised to a new life at baptism. You're free from that point forward. So live like it is what he's saying. Don't go back to your old way of life. Don't go back to wallowing in the mud. Remember we talked about that last week? Wallowing in the mud. Don't go back to eating vomit. Don't go back to that stuff. You are free. I had the opportunity to watch the last episode that's been released of The Chosen just yesterday. I don't know if you guys watched The Chosen. It's really, really powerful. Um, just a little disclaimer, uh, they try to be really biblical, but they do add in backstory. And they're not trying to be deceptive, I don't think. They're just trying to help you understand a fuller picture. They bring in a lot of historical things that can kind of help us understand. And so when they're painting the picture of Simon Peter getting ready to walk on water, they've laid this background that he was going through a lot with his family. We know from Scripture that he had a wife. And so they come up with this story that just shows the natural, normal difficulties that come up in marriages. They end up losing a, a child. And, and that very well could have happened. We don't know that it happened. But I believe it's, it's true to the heart because we see what happens with Peter in these big moments. And it's easy to understand how he would have felt the way he felt. So anyway, they paint this picture and she's dealing with feeling alone and like Peter's not there for her. And Peter's dealing with this feeling of Jesus isn't there for him. He's helping and healing and feeding all these people. But they who had given up everything, he, they feel like, you know, Peter feels like he's sort of leaving them out, hanging out to dry. And we do know that he says that. He expresses that in Scripture. You know, we've left everything to follow you. And so it comes down to this decision point. And Peter's sort of been on the fringe and he's been a little bit angry with Jesus. <gasps> Believe it or not. Some of us get angry with Jesus. And it comes to the point where they fed the 5,000. He sends them out on the boat, and the storm is coming along. And most of these guys are fishermen. They've been around the sea, and they are scared to death. They think they're going to die. They're straining at the oars. And then they look, and they see what they think is a ghost. And they see Jesus coming. And all at the same time, they keep cutting back to Peter's wife. And some of uh, her, her close friends, Zebedee, and, and some different ones have convinced her to go through this ritual cleansing to keep with the Jewish faith. And she goes, and, and basically she's being baptized. She goes, she walks into this water, and she lowers herself down. And they keep cutting back and forth. And so they show Peter step out of the boat. And at first, you know, he's looking, and he's trying to walk towards Jesus. But then what happens? What does he do? takes his eyes off of Jesus and he puts them on the storm. And I don't know about you guys, but maybe you felt like you've been walking on the water a little bit. You've been living a life of faith. But then the storms of life come up and they take your, your, your focus away and you get distracted. And then do you ever feel like you're drowning? 
and he sinks below the water, and he is drowning. And man, they do it in such a powerful, beautiful way. And Jesus, they show from they show from Peter's perspective. They show that hand of Jesus plunging down in the water, grabbing his hand and pulling him up and helping him to stand again on the water. And then they get in the boat, and Peter's just clinging to Jesus, and he's just saying, don't let me go, don't let me go. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that he wasn't just speaking about, don't let me go out of this boat. You know what he means. He's saying, Jesus, don't let me go. I, I was falling. I was drowning in more ways than one. And I can tell you that I have said that many times. Don't let me go. And they keep cutting back to his wife. And when she comes up out of that water from that ritual cleansing, she says, don't let him go. Because she knows her husband is on the edge. And so I'm asking you to say, God, don't let me go. Jesus, don't let me go. And be out there for other people. Help them hold on to Jesus so they can be free. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to focus in on this. Maybe you're free. Maybe you've already been baptized into Christ and you're free, but maybe you've chosen to go back into the prison. You've chosen to go back into the prison. You're allowing the words that you've been labeled with to own you and define you. And I want you to know that today your challenge if you're already a believer, if you're already a Christian, if you're already washed in the blood of the Lamb, but you've gone back into that old life or you've gone back in that prison of your mind and your heart, today your challenge is to come out and be free. It's to come out and be free. You were baptized and you were washed clean. You were set free, but you're in a prison cell. You're in a prison cell again, but I want you to know the door's not locked. It's a prison cell that you've allowed to contain you. And all you got to do is just walk out. If you're in Christ, you can be free. But today, perhaps you need to be in Jesus for the first time. You're completely locked up. You're imprisoned by your sin. You're imprisoned maybe even by the sin of others and what it means to you and how it defines you. And I want you to know that you can be free. And maybe today your move is to be baptized into Jesus Christ because the truth is, is that in Christ we are free. We don't have a lot of public decisions at the end of our services many times and We've had some. But I want you to know, I'm not going to be standing off to the side. I'm going to be right down here. And if there's somebody who needs to come back and step out of that prison cell that they've already been set free from, I'll be right here with you. If there's somebody who needs to say today, I want to be free for the very first time. I want to be in Jesus. We'll talk with you. We'll pray with you. And we'll get you baptized. We can do it today. But today... Don't leave here without being free. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.